Good afternoon, Bridge Builders. This is Bridge Builder in Chief Ray Torkelson coming to you live from the Bridge Mobile at Donor Bridge in Portland, Oregon. We are a social enterprise on a mission to hashtag build the bridge between people with resources who want to give and people in need who want help. Today is our fifth Build the Bridge podcast brought to you by Anchor FM, radio reinvented, allowing you to make cool audio right from your phone. Wanted to give a quick shout out to a couple folks, Griffin Oscar for the intro song Head Above Water on the Hostage EP. Next is Do Good Multnomah, our nonprofit partner changing the way we serve houseless veterans in Portland. Ole Latte, Changing the World One Coffee at a Time, and Union Gospel Mission in Old Chinatown. Also, Gary V, or Gary Vaynerchuk, who has inspired a lot of my approach at Donor Bridge, and Josh, my business partner, principal at Donor Bridge. We're both big fans, and he drives a lot of what we do. And I've got a guest here today. Hi, Bridge Builders. It's me, Mike, again. Yep. Mike is back. Um, today, we're going to do a little follow-up on what we talked about last week. Would you like to explain, Mike? Uh, yeah, last week when we were looking into the proposed shelter on Foster Road correct, and 60th or 61st or something like that. Yeah, 61st. Uh, we found out that there was another proposed shelter in Chinatown. Yes. Old, old town Chinatown, downtown Portland. And uh, I've looked up a couple articles and so is Ray. And there's a lot of mixed emotions about this. This proposed shelter, too. Yes, you are absolutely right. And I think like some of the last um, podcasts, it's been helpful for us to read through some of the articles that we're talking about to save you some time. Um, Fun, irrelevant fact, I speak Chinese, and that's not going to help us at all today. Um, Mm -hmm. So let's get through some of these articles. That's because uh, our Chinatown doesn't really have Chinese people. Put it in the mic. (laughs) There you go. Okay. Uh, Thanks, Mike. So... Let's go through some articles here. Mike uh, helped out with the research here on some good articles. How'd that go, Mike? It went pretty good. Uh, found one from uh, the Portland Tribune, uh, one on the Oregon Public Broadcast website, okay. uh, one from Portland Mercury, and I'm not sure where the other one was from exactly. Okay. Sounds good. Well, well we have it there. Maybe we'll kind of like discuss as we go. Okay. All right. So we're going to start with the Portland Tribune article um, from the Pamplin Media Group. And it looks like this article came out in August. So this has been um, news out there for a while, but we didn't really happen upon it until last week when we were looking at the shelter on foster road so let's get this going and Um, all these articles are actually uh the most recent articles i could find no totally yeah um thank you for finding these so this is again august 23rd the author is lindsey hewitt hope you're enjoying the podcast lindsey um title city eyes warehouse site in old town chinatown for three-story homeless shelter Wow, three stories. Called too expensive, site was previously shot down for right to dream too. Now, pending lease, could be largest shelter in Old Town. 
So there's a picture here that looks like the author took somebody uh, sleeping outside the building where this is proposed. Oh, they they are sleeping outside this building. Yeah. I know exactly where this building's at. Would you say there's probably people there right now? There's probably people there right now. Kind of all around the building or? Uh, on the loading docks. Okay. So um, the thing that I just read about there from the article, it was previously shot down for Right to Dream 2. Uh, do you want to explain for our bridge builders a bit about Right to Dream? I mean, I've texted back and forth with Ibrahim because I left a note for him at KBU, but we haven't gotten in touch yet, and you have more experience here. Well, Right to Dream is they try to help help you get off the streets, but, I mean, it's more along the lines of the longer you stay there, the more you're brought into the... The fold? The fold. Okay. <laughs> uh, I ha hate to say it's cult-like, but but maybe a little bit maybe a little bit okay yeah no, i mean we're here to give candid takes like don't hold back so um i used to volunteer for right to dream back when they were uh oh, really? behind the ugm oh yeah that's right you mentioned that so once. okay i mean it's kind of run just like every other nonprofit. yeah but you know gotcha it's a good program it's a good program you want a place to stay okay cool and the uh, the shorthand for it is R two D two, right? Yep. Right to Dream Two. We like that. We saw Star Wars. We did. It. Star Wars was awesome. R two D two was in it, right? Yep. R two D two is in it, and he finally comes back awake. Yes. Oh, spoiler alert! Wow. Thanks, Mike. You're welcome. Um, Sorry, Bridge Brothers. Go see it on Tuesdays. Discounts at Regal. Um, <laughs> so back to the article. Uh, we haven't gotten very far. The City and County Joint Office of Homeless Services is looking at leasing a three-story building and vacant adjoining property in Old Chinatown for a new shelter that would be the largest in the district. The warehouse at 320 Northwest Hoyt Street would give roof to 200 people and operate as a permanent 24-hour shelter. The same site was previously eyed by former Mayor Charlie Hales, administration for the right to dream to homeless encampment in 2014 hi charlie hey charlie but it was deemed too expensive to upgrade and operate as a homeless shelter at that particular time the r2d2 move had limited funding from an agreement that the encampment reached with developer homer williams and dyke dane what a name officials say this time is different though since it will be a long-term professionally managed shelter with services according to portland maps the site is owned by Alco Investment Corp. out of Seattle. Dennis Terralt, spokesman for the Joint Office of Homeless Services, said the building would still need work for this project. How much it would cost to upgrade the facility for a 200-person shelter wasn't immediately available, and officials weren't ready to announce any projected opening date pending negotiations. This building would need work. Even if we would take it over, it'll take time to make improvements and make it habitable and fit with services, Terralt said but they're looking for more space. The joint office in conjunction with the city and county are looking to add another 200 shelter beds to this acquisition, said Michael Cox, Mayor Ted Wheeler's spokesman. While nothing is final and nothing has been decided yet, we know we need additional capacity. Terralt noted that the Hanson shelter in East County isn't a permanent site and that this could help absorb some of the beds lost if that closes. He wasn't able to say when that shelter, located in the old Multnomah County Sheriff's Office, might close, however. 
We still need significant, significant capacity on an ongoing, permanent basis in East County. But this is a place we could replace some of those beds, Terrell said. We know we can't stay in Hanson long term. It's not in the shape it needs to be. Additionally, the temporary homeless shelter that moved to the Schleifer, whoa, Schleifer Furniture Building is still planned to close this fall. At odds with the neighborhood. Prior to eyeing the Northwest Hoyt location, officials battled with the Old Town Chinatown community in using the Tuck Lung Building at 140 Northwest 4th Avenue for 100 beds, but decided not to approve a plan for that site in February. Many business owners in that area have been at odds with social service agencies for decades, taking issue with panhandling, public urination, and intoxication. There are seven homeless shelters and centers in the old Chinatown area alone. An agreement called the No Net Gain Agreement was established to mitigate adding more services there. We had over time made an agreement that there'd be no additional social service or shelters added to this area because we were already bearing the largest concentration in the city, said Helen Ying chair of the Old Chinatown Association. What they, the city and county, have shared with us is that they will be working to mitigate and help improve the situation. So at this time, the association is going to gather input and come to a resolution that would be beneficial for the neighborhood. She said they're not taking a stand at this time, but looking to hear from people in two upcoming forums. The city and county still see a need in that area despite many shelters already being concentrated there. We moved R2-D2 too. There's a lot of development going on in old Chinatown, but of course homelessness will continue to be an issue in the city, Cox said. He pointed to a fire two weeks ago at 510 Northwest 3rd Avenue in an old firehouse owned by the city, when homeless people were reportedly seen running out of the vacant building. So I think having folks inside a well-managed shelter is certainly preferable to that, he said. Terralt says that the, county, the city county agency has added 1,300 shelter beds at this point, up from 658 two years ago. This new potential site, Terralt said, would likely operate similar Willamette Center at 5120 Southeast Milwaukee. Open 24 hours a day and on a reservation basis, it serves women and couples age 18 and older. The Old Chinatown Community Association will host two meetings on the opening of the new homeless shelter, both on September 6th. So those meetings have already happened, and that is the end of the article from Lindsay Hewitt. So, um, there's kind of like a lot in that article and at the same time, not a lot, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just kind of like basic details on the shelter. Um, they're not really talking about like the conditions of old Chinatown. Um, and I think that that's something that I would certainly want to be able to hear or read about if I was trying to understand how the shelter is going to help that part of the community. Um, not to like put you on the spot, Mike, but maybe you could help our bridge builders understand what that area of town is like if they don't spend a lot of time there or if they're trying to understand what a homeless shelter there would do. Well, this spot for this homeless shelter is actually on like that kind of outlying side of Chinatown anyways. Okay. It's not down near the business section. Yeah. This is actually all the way out by Greyhound and Amtrak. Okay. So this is like towards, almost towards like the river? Down by TPI. Okay. Down by TPI. So like by the train station and... Where like, the Max f finally comes, where the yellow and green line finally come across the bridge. Like where NATO funnels all the way down? Yeah. Okay, gotcha. 
so what I mean what's it like down there like why add like what's what's TPI currently doing at the the day center right like there's the Bud Clark Commons area don't they have like some Doreen's place Doreen's place right there they're building a new one okay what are they building there uh, in our low-income housing, like Bud Clark and Doreen's place. So what then? What value would be added to this area? Do you think with a two hundred bed shelter? And I mean, it's, it's going to concentrate it more. Into one. It area. will. It will concentrate everybody into like one section. And like, where is it going to take them from? Just like other places in Chinatown, or all around the downtown and the east side. Okay. Well, I mean, how many people do you think are lingering around downtown or even the east side? Because what's what impact is a two hundred bed shelter going to make? It, like, think just think about the numbers. Like, how many people are out there? It's only going to take two hundred of that number, right? Yep. But uh, how many, one of these articles they tried saying that there was only about three three thousand homeless people in in Portland. What do you think the numbers like? I think it's much much higher. So you think it's much, much higher? Yeah, you... I think it's closer to probably six to seven thousand. Wow. Um, so six to seven thousand. The number that I've read is okay. So close to six to seven thousand. The number I've read is like four thousand. And then you said in one of the articles they said about three thousand. About... It's in the uh, City Journal article. Okay, gotcha. Um, yeah, I mean I've. I've definitely seen more homeless people in Portland just since I've been spending time doing more outreach work. But um, what makes you think the numbers would be nearly twice as high as estimates? Just from all the people that I've seen. Yeah. Like, do you think that, because those numbers are probably from what, like the point in time count that they do? Yeah. Which is, they said they do a biennial a biannual point in time. A biennial. Biennial. What's that? I have no clue. Like every millennium. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, where? I mean, have you ever even seen people out doing the count? No, I've never been counted as far as I know. Okay, so add one. We're at three thousand and one at least. Mm -hmm. But I mean, do you think that they're not even going to certain areas? Like they're not going underneath the bridges or over on the railroad tracks you know what i mean like they're yeah. missing spots you know they got like you said you know we got all the people down underneath the bridge we got people in the camps down by the morrison bridge by the train tracks we got the ones out by union pacific railroad uh what's that spot called out there the tracks the tracks yeah that's what a lot of people you call it okay um so it's a very very lovely colorful area okay you want to talk a bit about it no, no. <laughs> but okay. it's a very colorful area very that's colorful. all we should be able to say so and is that close to where the shelter is being proposed no no okay but that's closer out that's out past r2d2 oh all the way out there okay yeah. so it's out like alberta neighborhood and all that stuff yeah for sure so what I'm interested in is what are the long-term solutions? Um, like what are the problems that we're solving and what, what are the solutions that are long-term for those problems? So what specifically do you think is the problem that this shelter is trying to solve? 
Um, from the sounds of that one article, it sounds like they're just trying to get something to cushion the fallback from when those other shelters are going to close. Okay. So, like, when... Because it said one's a 100-bed shelter, and it said the other one was something else, and that's almost 200 right there. And they're always full? Yep. Okay. How many beds did they say there are total? 200? Not in the this shelter, but in Portland. Oh, Wasn't it in, like, the thousands? I don't remember. Terrell says that the city-county agency has added 1,300 shelter beds at this point, up from 658 two years ago. So if there's 4,000 homeless, and they've added 1,300 shelter beds from 658, now we're at, like, almost 2,000 beds, which is only going to serve half the people on the streets. So even if we add, I mean, assuming those numbers are correct, if it's closer to the numbers that you're talking about, like six, 7,000, now we're talking about only one in three people are sheltered, like a night, and and that's assuming these places are twenty four hours. Like they might are they counting beds in that number that are like emergency shelters? You never know. Places that aren't usually open. Like a Mago Day. Yeah. Um. So maybe we should go into another article here. Um. That's the City Journal article that you just passed. The City Journal. Do you think that's a good one? Um. This one is more just about homeless in Portland. In general. Okay. Yeah. Not this about is the one where they gave the numbers, so. Okay, then let's go through it. We can always just put in what we want, and then we can go. This author is from Portland, so. Okay, cool. Um, so, from the magazine, this is from City Journal, Portland's Homeless Challenge. The Pacific Northwest City, long a magnet for street people, is experimenting with unusual reforms. From Michael J. Totten. So he's already framed Portland as a magnet for street people. Like, what does that mean? It means that we're a hub. A hub, like it's everybody a, travels through here. And and why? Like, why would street people? Why would this be a magnet for street people? I guess is what I'm asking. Bigger city. It's a bigger city, so it, it's a magnet for people from where? All over Oregon. Salem. <laughs> Salem. Got it. Um. All right. So here we go. Here's the article from Michael. Nice, nice job, Michael, with the article. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, my hometown, Portland, Oregon, has a homelessness problem. Well, it's definitely not me if it's his hometown. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Portland is often called the city of bridges. Woo, donor bridge. Um, more than a dozen cross the Willamette and Columbia Rivers. Okay, we're the 13th bridge. That's pretty cool. And beneath almost all, at one time or another, one sees miserable-looking camps constructed of tents, plastic tarps, and shopping carts. It's impossible to avoid running into homeless people downtown, where ragged people sleep on park benches and in doorways, and where you can't walk long without being hit up for spare change. You can hardly drive near the city center without encountering men or women holding up cardboard signs asking for money at an intersection. Roughly 620,000 people live in Portland, and the suburbs push the metro area population more than 2.3 to more than 2.3 million. This article was written winter of 2016, so about a year ago. So he, he when because he's the one that gives this number of about 3,000 homeless. So he okay. might be just talking about downtown Portland alone. Okay. Gotcha. Well, here's the numbers. As of January 2015, Multnomah County, which includes most of the city proper and all the city center, had 3,801 homeless people. Of these, according to the county's biennial count... Hey, Siri. What does biennial mean? 
as an adjective it means taking place every other year. Do you want to hear the next one? No. <laughs> Oh, okay, thanks, Siri. So they don't even take. Oh gosh, Siri, stop! We don't need your help. So they only do this. Ladies count. and gentlemen, this is a shout out to Apple, and they're slowing down cell phones. Woo, love it. Um, so what do we got? A biannual count. Um, so that means that they're every other year. Every other year. So okay. they should of, be of doing the, one this year. Of the almost four thousand, according to the county's biannual count, about eight hundred live in temporary shelters. A thousand are in transitional housing, and more than eighteen hundred are unsheltered. That is, sleeping under bridges, in parks, and on sidewalks. That's a lot of people. Almost everyone who visits me asks, "What's wrong with this place?" Portland is a prosperous, high-tech Pacific Rim city. So why does it have so many street people? Is something uniquely the matter with the city? Not necessarily, but Portland is a better place to be homeless than most American cities. Ooh, okay, hot take. The weather is mild. Um, not really agreeable. Yeah. Probably easy to say if you're not outside on the streets. Um, the citizens are generous. That's true. Portland spends millions... Yay, bridge builders! <laughs> Portland spends millions yearly in private donations and tax dollars trying to help the homeless. Mm. And yeah, that sounds... Okay. There's, there's probably some numbers to back it up. He's we'll, not citing the data, though. I mean, we'll, we'll let him say what he wants to say here. And public officials are blocked by the courts from regulating vagrancy in ways that are routine elsewhere. Some homeless actually moved to Portland from other cities. Homelessness is so visible here that it has encouraged not only expansive nonprofit relief efforts, some of which seem to be doing real good, but also, in at least one case, an innovative approach that may truly ease the problem and that other cities might consider adopting. Gunner Bridge! Only they're talking about us. Um, Hey man, hopes and dreams, hopes and dreams. Hopes and dreams, build the Building bridge. <laughs> Homelessness is not a new issue in American life, but it started getting much worse everywhere, not just in Portland, beginning in the 1970s, thanks to the deinstitutionalization movement, which closed many state psychiatric hospitals. According to the Treatment Advocacy Center in Arlington, Virginia, by 2010, the number of beds per capita in psychiatric hospitals had plunged to 1850s levels. When the most severely mentally ill patients were freed from a system discredited by 1960s social movements and books like Ken Kesey's One Flew Over the Cuckoo, Cuckoo, Cuckoo's, Cuckoo's Nest? Yeah, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's right. Nest. Okay, Ken Jack Kesey, Nicholson. you know, he went to University of Oregon. And Jack Nicholson is in that movie. Yeah. They were ill-prepared for normal life. Many found themselves relegated to a Hobbesian existence on sidewalks. Okay, I should know. I studied philosophy, I guess. Um, Hobbesian? It sounds like something Chinese. Probably Hobbes, Hobbesian existence. Um, Democ? What is that? Damage? Damage? Wow, I didn't know these words were in Oregon. Uh, Damage State Hospital <laughs> closed 20 years ago, says David Willis. The homeless services coordinator at Union Gospel Mission, a Christian nonprofit. A boys. Um, yeah. Shout went, out. Yeah, shout out UGM. Shout out UGM. Um, some went into adult foster care, but others stayed on the streets. The people who work in foster care don't have a background in psychiatric counseling or care. They can't handle these people. And mentally ill homeless people can't help themselves. Somebody has to take care of them. Somebody has to make sure they bathe, change their clothes, and take their medications. 
Portland City Councilman and Housing Commissioner Dan Saltzman agrees. That did increase the homeless population on the streets of Portland and a lot of other cities, he says, of deinstitutionalization. It's a nationwide problem, and it really pulled the rug out from underneath a lot of people. Community resources were supposed to be put into place when we closed the big institutions, but the second part didn't happen. About three-fourths of Portland's homeless are addicted to drugs or alcohol, and roughly half have a mental illness of one kind or another, though many remain undiagnosed. We see people with schizophrenia, depression, and trauma, says Alexa Mason at the Portland Rescue Mission, another Christian nonprofit that provides food, blankets, and temporary shelter downtown. Women on the street are likely to be assaulted within 72 hours. Men get beat up. Just living outside is traumatizing. When you add that on top of schizophrenia or dissociative disorders, people keep getting worse. This is one thing that everybody in government, social services, and the business community agrees on. Wow, that's interesting. 72 hours? It's a bold statement. Yeah, can you, like, I feel like that paragraph is a perfect thing for you to sort of review and chew on for our bridge builders, so. I ain't seen it. The only time I've seen somebody beat up was when uh, they didn't want to pay their debts. Okay. But, uh, you know, as far as the drug academic, yeah. Hold on. Let's see those numbers. Let me read through this and then stop me at each part. Okay. Okay. About three-fourths of Portland's homeless are addicted to drugs or alcohol, and roughly half have a mental illness of one kind or another, yep. though many remain undiagnosed. Yep, I can see that. Okay. We see people with schizophrenia, depression, and trauma. Don't forget bipolar. Okay. Says Alexa Mason at the Portland Rescue Mission, another Christian nonprofit that provides foods, blankets, and temporary shelter downtown. Uh, good luck. Not for women. Women, and then they go into a quote here, women on the streets are likely to be assaulted within 72 hours. Men. I haven't seen it. You haven't seen that? No. Okay. Men get beat up. <laughs> Just living outside. I haven't been beat up. A knock on wood, Mike. Knock on wood. <laughs> um, uh, we're in the bridge mobile. There's no wood in here. What's that? We're in a metal car. There's no wood in here. Yeah, no, exactly. Just a figure of speech. Oh, okay. Um, just living outside is traumatizing. When you add that on top of schizophrenia or dissociative disorders, people keep getting worse. This is one thing that everybody in government, social services, and the business community agrees on. Is that really true, Bridge Builders? <laughs> well, is there anything more? Do you guys that... really agree on that? Yeah. And this is, this is a juicy paragraph. Not everyone on the streets is mentally ill, and not all are addicted to drugs and alcohol. Some just lost their jobs, slipped through the cracks, and found themselves in a maze from which they couldn't escape. What almost all of them share, however, are weak social and family ties. Almost everyone we help here is struggling without any support network, says Mason. A lack of family support is the one common denominator that unites almost everybody. Yeah. Okay. I have family support, but I'm still... Stuck out here. Okay. But these problems aren't confined to the American Northwest. Why does Portland seem to have so many more homeless people than elsewhere? One reason may be simple. Portland is a relatively easy place to be homeless, or at least it's less brutal than elsewhere. Portlanders are indeed tolerant, and so are the police. Not necessarily because they want to be, but because they have to be. 
the city has repeatedly passed anti-panhandling statutes and so-called sit-lie ordinances, which ban sitting and lying on sidewalks. But they're tough to enforce, thanks to reliably libertarian interpretations of Oregon's constitution by the state Supreme Court and lower-level circuit courts. The result is that homeless people are more visible and more numerous here than in many other cities. Any thoughts there? I don't know. I haven't been in other cities. Okay. Portland's gentle climate is another factor. Contrary to popular belief, Portland gets a third less rain than New York City, and the temperatures are milder year-round. Snow falls and sticks only once every few years. Sleeping outside in January's 40-degree weather may not be comfortable, but it sure beats sleeping on the sidewalk in, say, Chicago, where one night in sub-zero weather can be fatal. Okay, he might have us there. Okay. <laughs> um, Portland? Yeah, I wouldn't call it uh, mild. Mild. <laughs> okay. Portland's nonprofit homeless services are extensive. Portland Rescue Mission provides emergency services including meals, showers, clothing, and shelter for people living on the streets, says Mason. It's open 24-7. We have mail service for about 1,000 people. From November 1st through March 31st, we offer a free blanket exchange every night. Though it doesn't have beds for everyone, those get awarded by Daily Lottery. Portland Rescue Mission never runs out of food. We have really good food here, says Stacy Keene, the communications director at Union Gospel Mission. Oh, that's our friend. Food that you would want to eat. Having breakfast here is like going out to brunch. We have fresh scrambled eggs, bacon, and pancakes. You wouldn't believe how much food they have in the freezer, a friend who volunteered at the Oregon Food Bank told me. When homeless people in downtown Portland ask passerby if they have any spare change, most of us assume that they don't, that they need money for food, but they don't. What do you think of that? Uh, that might be a toss-up, because we had, I, I discussed this a little bit before. Uh, no offense to... Portland Rescue Mission, UGM, anybody. I'm not trying to put anybody on blast, TPI or anybody. But, you know, there's there's a, there's a always donations that come in. But sometimes that stuff doesn't actually go back out. What do you mean? Like the food bank might say they have a freezer full of food. But, yeah, that's a lot for people there in their program. That doesn't necessarily mean that the all other of home, Portland all the homeless hungry. people get fed that. Okay, gotcha. Are the homeless coming to Portland from elsewhere? Quote, I don't really believe these stories about other jurisdictions buying homeless people bus tickets to Portland, end quote, says Commissioner Saltzman. But then he concedes, quote, Portland is a tolerant city and has a moderate West Coast climate, so I think there's some truth to it, end quote. New quote, most of the homeless people I know are from Portland or another West Coast city, end quote, says Mason, quote, but I have met people who said they were homeless somewhere else and moved here intentionally to take advantage of Portland's services in milder weather, end quote, agrees Willis of Union Gospel Mission, quote, they're from Seattle, Texas, Alabama. People are coming here because we make it comfortable to be homeless, end quote. I mean, so your perspective, Mike, is like knowing what Salem and Portland would yep. you say that Portland is better than Salem for being homeless? Way better. And why is that? Well, we visited last last week. Right. And uh, like I said, I pointed out every single homeless thing that we got down there, and that was next to nothing. No buses among weekends. Right. There's not a ton of infrastructure there for the homeless. Nope. So, yeah, I mean. One men's mission. Yeah. Uh, one women's mission and one couple's mission. That's about it. Okay. Um, the article continues. 
If Portland Rescue Mission is like an emergency room on the ragged edge, Union Gospel Mission resembles a long-term care unit. Its approach is worth emulating. It was founded in Portland in 1927 when 40 area churches came together to provide meals, shelter, and religious guidance to the destitute as part of a larger mission across the United States and Canada. Back then, the organization's services resembled those provided by the Portland Rescue Mission today. But, but 25 years ago, its directors changed focus to treat one of the primary causes of homelessness, drug and alcohol addiction. Today, Union Gospel Mission dedicates most of its resources to a comprehensive multi-year program called Life Changes. The mission still provides meals and hygiene kits to anyone who needs them, but the only way anyone can spend the night there when it's not below freezing outside, as it can be on some winter nights, is by agreeing to participate in the program. Like Portland Rescue Mission, Union Gospel Mission is a faith-based charity that receives no government funding. So, Mike, I, I don't, you know, whatever you want to share here is totally fine, but... I've just thought a lot about like programs that say like if we're going to give you help like you have to do these things. So like for example religion. So they say you have to go through this like life changes program from, you know, our religious organization. Like do, have you heard anything about what kind of like beliefs they're imposing on people in order just to get help because Christianity. Okay. And like do are there just hoops people have to jump through, or do they really have to like? Well, UGM, uh, I looked into going into their program at one point in time, and they wanted me to completely give up my cigarettes and any and all tobacco products. Okay, so and is that and money? Be, and money? You're not allowed to have money, your own money, for the first six months, minimum. Okay, that's... and then you have to apply to be able to get approved. That's very interesting. Um, I guess, like, what what I think about is this dynamic where there's people, I don't necessarily want to say in power, but people in a position where they have the resources, and what they're telling these people who are vulnerable and don't have that power to have the resources for themselves, they're telling them how they have to act to get those things. Yep. And... I guess, like, maybe you could vouch for this at DonorBridge. I'm not saying this makes us better, but this makes us different, is we don't tell anybody what they have to do, right? Nope. We just ask them, what do you need? And then we go and we try to get the money to get it to them. Exactly. So it's definitely a lot simpler. Just like when we were out the other night uh, doing some little field work, walking around. Yeah. Uh, ran into the... Uh, Guy who came over here to tell, help take care of his mom and just wants a bus ticket back to Lapine. Yeah, it's like cool. You don't have to like subscribe to our philosophy or worldview. You don't have to give up anything that you do. Keep keep doing whatever you want. But if you want help with this, we'll try. Um, shameless self plug on the I mean, method. Well, we don't push religion upon anybody. Yeah, and I mean we are a LLC. You, I don't. So. Even, I don't even think you and I have had really a conversation about religion except for how I expressed uh, shout out to Hobson. Yeah. Uh, Hobson's ill mind seven is pretty much how I see Christianity nowadays. Yeah. And, and you know, I do personally, I do believe, but yeah, I mean, I think like as friends, we've talked about yeah. religion, but it has nothing to do with our work here. Exactly. To raise money for anything that you're asking for help with. So, and I'm not, I'm, I wouldn't care if, if a person was a satanic that was asking for help. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, we're just helping people. And or like a Buddhist or anything. Yeah. Or atheist. 
you know, pantheists, anything. Um, I, I'm not bashing the groups that are religious, but I am saying that we're different. Like we yeah. don't add that layer to it. Um, we just go direct to the source and listen to people with what they're saying they need. Um, of course, if somebody says I need heroin, we're not going to go raise money for it. <laughs> but, um, so I hope not. We have some common sense boundaries, um, <laughs> and there's nobody else out there doing stuff like that, so no worries. But um, okay, back to the article. Except for joints for the homeless. Oh yeah, what is that? We need to look that up. Joints for the homeless. That's interesting. But there's a lot of people probably on the streets who could use like green cards, like the kind of medication that you get from THC. So because there are medicinal well, properties. The medical part is not really the THC, it's the CBD, but... Excuse me. See, I don't really... That's not my thing, so <laughs> thank you. But that's neither here or there. <laughs> Learning a little bit more about Mike today. No, just kidding. Um, okay, so the program's first three to four months comprise the stability phase, which often begins with detoxing. Next comes the healing phase, where residents get counseling and work therapy. Some stay for up to a year in what's called the passage phase, while they find a job and save money. It's hard for me to imagine how a chronically homeless addict who hasn't worked for years can ever live a normal life again, but Keen, the communications director, insists that it's possible. Keen. Stacy Keen. Keen. Oh, so she's Keen. the one that... Keen Footwear. <laughs> oh, Keen. Keen Footwear, yeah. Shout out. <laughs> um, no, Stacy Stacey and I have met, and we've talked about Donor Bridge, and we're, I'm getting involved with their search and rescue program because they end up around the city with these people that need just specific items, and we could make that program more visible. Um, so I've seen it hundreds of times, she tells me. Working this program, healing past traumas, and committing to living clean and sober make a huge difference. People need a social support structure. If your friends are healthy and making good choices, you'll do a lot better than if your friends are shooting up and drinking all the time. That's pretty black and white, but um, we become... It's true, though. Yeah, well, I mean, it's definitely true if you're not, like, shooting up and drinking all the time that, like, that's healthier, but... Um, and it's good to be around good people. I'm just saying, like, the contrast there is really sharp between, like, the good life and the worst life. You know what I mean? Um, so we become their new social support network. We connect them with churches, recovery groups, schooling, and jobs so that they can build something positive in their lives. We discourage them from going back to their old dysfunctional friends and relationships. The brand new facility is impressive. It's no luxury hotel, but with its spacious and clean rooms, it's much nicer than my old college dorm complex. The, the heat and noise from the street stem, uh, excuse me, the heat and noise from the street seem miles away. I was trying to get clean for years, says Doug, a young man in the cafeteria who is currently in the passage phase. I lived in a clean and sober house, but I lost my paychecks to gambling and they kicked me out. I had nowhere to go. It was dangerous out there and I felt all empty inside. Nowadays, he talks like someone with his act together. He says that he's starting college in the fall and plans to major in psychology. When I asked Keen about the waiting list to get in, she said that there isn't one. They have 10 spaces available that nobody wants. Why don't more people want to come inside out of the heat or the cold? Because they don't want to stop using drugs, Doug says bluntly. It's Tobacco hard. is not a drug, Stacy. just letting you know. Okay. Maybe if you let people smoke tobacco in your program or chew tobacco, they might be willing to come in. Okay. This is straight from Mike. Um, That's really the thing that turned me off from the program. Okay. Gotcha. Well, I know, like, so, for example, 12-step programs like AA and NA, like, they don't have an issue with tobacco, right? Like, people yep. are smoking, like, chimneys during meeting breaks. Like, yep. tobacco is all over the place there. And there are people who successfully climb out of addiction. And there's 
totally religious undertones, if not just core parts of AA and NA. So it doesn't lack Christianity, but it also doesn't lack tobacco. So well, it's not just Christianity. There's it's higher power. Yeah, it's higher power. There's native, big native following in in AA. Okay, interesting. So um, uh, I hope I didn't break any traditions or principles there. We probably should just erase that little part. But which part? <laughs> the part where I pretty much say there's a big <laughs> Native American thing going there because that might be a little breaking NAA traditions and how uh, so? Anonymity. Oh, anonymity. Anonymity or whatever the word is that I can't ever pronounce. What what is what's how are you breaking anonymity by just saying there's a, a lot of oh because the people who go to the meeting are yeah. not supposed to reveal their identities. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would, kinda, well, well so did everybody just assume there's only white people there? It's not breaking anonymity to say that there's diversity there, but we can cut it out. Um, anyway, we'll so just, we'll just say this. We'll start from here. Is that there is a very multicultural background when it comes to NAA. Which I think is good. Because they practice spiritual spiritual progress and spiritual perfection. When I asked Keen about the waiting list to get in, she said that there isn't one. They have 10 spaces available that nobody wants. Why don't more people want to come inside out of the heat or the cold? Because they don't want to stop using drugs, Doug says bluntly. It's hard for some of them to deal with other people and structure. Willis adds, what they want is to live the way they've been living, only inside and for free. Most of them don't want to change. As Doug concludes, there are rules and boundaries in here, but actually that's a good thing. This place will be my backbone as I go forward. So most of them don't want to change. Could it be that just most of them don't want to stop smoking cigarettes? or Probably. Because, like, it's a big crutch. It helps people. I mean, there's also plenty of people in the world who are inside and i mean it's not free but they're still doing drugs so like tobacco i don't know it's like it's legal I, it it's hard it's hard to think about that people are going to get turned away for it's, if there's 10 empty beds or empty spots and like somebody's just smoking cigarettes so they can't get in anyways um that's what they told me because they're already gonna people already have to sign up for christianity it's like yeah. anyways um so, just behind the Union Gospel Mission is a semi-permanent homeless site that looks like a refugee camp. Not no more. Really? They're talking about the old Right to Dream, where I used to work, that is currently located over by the Moda Center now. Okay, well, keep that in mind, folks. It's over by the Moda Center, but it'll still probably give a description here that's useful. Right to Dream 2, which the organizers abbreviate as R2-D2 after the bleeping robot in Star Wars... Was erected <laughs> was erected on an empty private lot four years ago by Ibrahim Mubarak. Shout out to Carrie Fisher, we love you. Who greets me with a smile, dressed in a flowing gold robe and a white Islamic skullcap. His real name is Keith Jackson, and he grew up in Chicago, where he ran with the Black Gangster Disciples, the murderous street gang founded by David Barksdale. Mubarak used and sold drugs, fought the law and lost, and spent time on the streets before getting clean, converting to Islam, and transforming himself into a homeless activist. Some people live at the camp while others just spend the night once in a while. Mubarak says that 276 people who once slept there have since found housing and 250 people found work, though I have no way of confirming those numbers. Before he let me in, he asked me to read and agree to the code of conduct posted at the security gate. 
I know you're not going to violate any rules, he said, but we ask everyone to read this and agree to it before they come in here. The rules are straightforward. No weapons, no violence, no drugs, and no degrading racist, sexist, or homophobic remarks. Everyone who uses one of the portable toilets must submit to a pocket search to ensure that they aren't carrying drugs or paraphernalia. R2-D2 includes men's... Which never really happened. What do you mean? They never pocket check people. Okay. At least when I was working there, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. R2-D2 includes men's and women's sleeping tents and a couple's sleeping tent. It has a kitchen with a hot water tank and ample cleaning supplies. Behind the kitchen is a computer lab, which Mubarak calls the Empowerment Center. Next to the back wall of the Union Gospel Mission is the, well, it's not there anymore, is the membership area where a dozen or so individual backpackers have pitched tents semi-permanently. So that would be over by Moda Center now. Everyone who lives well, here... no, that's, they still have... All oh, they still over, have that. Well, it's all by Moda Center. Okay. But that was like the, they had the group tents for the people who just come in for the 12-hour stays. And then people who were working there, like me, had our tents pitched in the back. Okay, gotcha. Everyone who lives here has to be looking for a job and housing, Mubarak says. They can't just squat here. No one wonders if someone has a hidden agenda. Hey, bridge builders. This is the outro portion of our fifth Build the Bridge podcast. Join us for part two next week where we finish this article. I just want to thank everybody for listening, all of our bridge builders. This is your bridge builder in chief, Ray Torkelson, signing off from the Bridgemobile at Donor Bridge in Portland, Oregon, with our first asker, Michael Tabor, where we build the bridge between people with resources who want to give and people in need who want help. We do so by eliminating barriers to donating, such as distrust and inconvenience. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, check us out at www.donor-bridge.com. We'll be coming out with our first newsletter um, later tonight, which I'm probably still writing at the moment. (laughs) Um, Give us a follow on social media. Uh, You can go to our Instagram page, at DonorBridge, and DM us your email if you want to get on that newsletter. And just uh, follow us on social media if you're trying to stay up to date on what we're doing and if you're interested in helping those in need who want help. So thanks again for listening, Bridge Builders. I am going to let us listen to a great song from Donnie Trumpet and the social experiment called Sunday Candy because I hope this podcast has been your Sunday Candy. She can say in her voice and her way that she loves me. With her eyes, with her smile, with her belt, with her hands, with her money. I am the thesis of her prayers Her nieces and her nephews are just pieces of the layers Only one she loves as much as me is Jesus Christ and Taylor I got a future song singing for my grandma You sing it too, but your grandma ain't my grandma Mine's handmade, pan-fried, sun-dried, Southside, And beat the devil by a landslide Praying with her hands tied President of my fan club, Santa Something told me I should bring my mother yeah, slowly Taking in my body like it's home
for the candy, your peppermint is the truth. I'm pessimistic on Monday. If I had tweaked them, it's you. You look so good with the hat on, had to match with the shoe. Came and dressed in the satin, I came and sat in your pew. I come to Christmas for dinner, 50 rolls on my plate. Hello, holes in my stocking, holding your pockets in place. I like my love with the budget, I like my hugs with a scent. You smell like light gas while the electricity rent. You sound like why the gospel choir got so tired. Singing this praise on a daily basis, so I gotta try it. You my dream catcher, dream team, team captain. Matter of fact, I ain't seen you in a minute. Let me take my butt to church. You better come on in.